May is Mental Health Awareness Month. The impact of COVID-19 pandemic on our social, emotional, and mental health will be felt for months and years to come. By nature, we are communal. We learn, connect, and celebrate socially with food, among family, and at work. It is unnatural for us to limit physical contact. These limitations, along with recent events, including economic, racial disparities, and police brutality are undoubtedly some of the most challenging we have ever encountered. Loss of loved ones without physical comfort almost feels like punishment. There's a poem that says, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. Metaphorically, we wear the mask of happiness and contentment in social conformance, developing and evolving. But we also wear the mask to protect our vulnerable inner true selves that struggle under mental illness, racism, and segregation. During these unprecedented times, each of us will be considering what's most important. Before we take off the mask, we'll also be challenged to face our true selves, beliefs, and distinguish how to pick our battles. It will never be business as usual. The task of becoming conscious is intentional. Take care to recognize and identify the triggers. Listen in to the conversation this month with my cousin, Dr. Tanika Lynch, who is a licensed social worker and university lecturer with the state of North Carolina, as we discuss ways to identify stressors and manage the triggers that affect our mental health so that we can take off the mask. And I am your host, Shona Monique, and this is the experience merging life, love, and laughter. Of course, we have so many things happening in our world at this time, and it's, I feel like it's like overlapping. You know, we have COVID, then we have mental illness, and we have disparities with racism, and uh, so many traumatic events that's going on in our world. Um, it looks like people are out and about some have masks on some don't and um people are just kind of playing by their own rules at this time so uh i wanted to do our episode today about um mental illness and the mental health awareness we're ending the month of may and i wanted to grace this topic because i think that it's, it's so critical when we talk about opening up our nation to economy um you know and what in whatever capacity opening up means in whatever state you're in um Mm -hmm. and i wanted to you know just to hear from you in regards to what that means for mental health uh for those that suffer and for those who do not have a clear um diagnosis uh, mm. But we're we're all going to feel this thing when we go back out, right? You know. Yep. So, um, in your expertise and in your experience, uh, what have you noticed or seen 
as it relates to um, reintroducing ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, as a mental health professional, I think that, well, we all see and I see it um, quite often right now. Mm-hmm. In regards to COVID, the racial divisiveness in the country and the political era in the country, all of this stuff all in one, right now everyone is on a heightened stance. Yeah. Everyone is reactive. Everyone is in autopilot. So, I just wanted to, um, and I think we're not really going to see the influx of mental health, new mental health um, people, patients, until after the fact, until after everything settles down. That's usually when um, people start showing symptoms and, and reactions to what they've experienced. So first I wanted to say, like I always like to explain exactly what's happening from a physical standpoint in the body. Yeah, please, please do. Uh, yeah, on. you know, it's, yeah. um, I wanted to, and, and this, this, mm-hmm. this show is called The Experience, Merging mm-hmm. Life, Love, and Laughter. Yes. And I think it's really important for us to bring some of those, our own experiences. If you, you know, care to share, if not, that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've pretty much been, I haven't really gone to any, um, any outside places other than the regular drive through from the McDonald's and, you know, uh, and I had an experience where I went to buy some flowers and mm-hmm. I guess this florist is, is just now reopening and they've shifted some things around and um, I had my mask on, but I didn't have on gloves. So I was greeted at the door with this table at the door. And the first yeah. thing that the guy does, because he has gloves, the first thing he does is squirts hand sanitizer in my hand. Yeah. And he was like, well, I'm sorry. You know, I have gloves on. And, you know, and so he was very apologetic. And, you know, completely understand. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the store with the uh, florist. The place wasn't crowded or anything. But, and I've been to this place before. So as I walked in, I noticed that, you know, by the counter now, they have plexiglass. Um, yeah. And he gave me the hand sanitizer. So then, you know, of course, I'm like, I feel like I'm about to do surgery because I, you know, I have to let my hands spread out to (laughs) dry. But then, you know, I just kind of felt, you know, totally understanding that he had to present himself in a certain way. But he was also very apologetic. Um, You know, I had to stand at a certain place to select what I wanted. And then after I select what I wanted, he took them somewhere different and wrapped them up. But then presented the flowers in a different location where I couldn't touch him. He sat them down and then I had to go to a different location to pay. I used my card. And at that point, I kind of felt like I had the heebie-jeebies because I I didn't have gloves on, but I had to pass him my card and my ID without touching him or touching anything. You know, so it just, yeah. it felt a little, it felt weird. And that was really my first experience being outside, quote, quote, outside. Okay. So I can, you know, I, you know, as a professional, I, I, you know, as a, I totally understand his position, but I can't imagine. Trying to adapt to a new normal. Adjusting to right. this type of lifestyle. And this is just getting flowers. I don't know if people get flowers every day, but. What about when we start going back to restaurants, when we start right. going back to, you know, let's just say they reopen the schools, you know? So, you know, right. I'll, let you, I'll let you speak on that. But, 
So yeah. then where's like my my experience is different. Like the middle ground. Okay, so I went to where's the middle ground is what I'm saying. Um I went to get eyeglasses. I went to the eye doctor the other day and the same thing, they approach they approach you at the door, you have to stand there, you have to you have to answer a bunch of questions about where you've been in the last thirty days or have you had a fever? Then they take your fever. They squirt you with the, the hand sanitizer. They they give you a mask if you don't have one, and then you go on, mm. right? Um, so, and then on the flip side, I have since this whole pandemic thing, I have not, I have not had any um, urge to eat fast food, nothing like that, nothing like that. So today, one of my kids asked, "Can we have pizza?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I can make pizza." But no, can we get Papa John's? And I'm like, um, we gonna like big big Mama said we gonna make our own burgers. We gonna make our own Papa John's. <laughs> but I said, okay, so I'm trying to like trying to reintegrate back into you know normalcy, right? So I go into Papa John. I ordered the pizza ahead of time, so I go in there, and this is the complete opposite. Now it's not a doctor's office, but it's still where you prepare food. Right? There's no gloves. There's no mask. There's no nothing. And I'm looking. I'm like, I'm going to pay for the pizza, but I'm not coming back here. Right. <laughs> right. Ever. Yeah. So where's the, where's the middle ground? Like, where's the middle ground? <laughs> and then, and then what, what kind of loot, what kind of lunatic would you have looked like trying to te- tell them how right. to prepare their pizza? <laughs> right. Like, bro, where your gloves? Bro, where your mask? You breathing all on my food? Like, what? <laughs> Like what are we doing? You know? Where are your gloves? Like where are your gloves? Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I can't even imagine because most pizza places that we go to, when they're kneading the dough, you know, their hands are pretty clean. But we I've never seen anybody knead those that dough with gloves on. Never. Right. Right. I didn't notice that. I've always noticed. I've always noticed that because yeah, yeah, they never they never wear gloves. Like whoa, yeah. So you know, so can you imagine the ment, uh, the mental anguish that one, the one right. feels like the whole your whole body tenses when you notice right. like you want to say something but you don't. You don't want to be embarrassed. Right. You don't want to embarrass your kids. Right. You know, right. So coming back and in, going and in, back into society, mm-hmm. we have to readjust right. to. What's okay, what's not okay as far as uh, businesses, interacting with people, um, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And every everyone is going to adjust in a different manner depending right. on what their experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, yeah, what are, so what are, and you? I know you were about to start explaining and I cut you off, but you know <laughs> what? I apologize. Because this, 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 this is a serious situation because right. What should we expect? And what are some, what are some, uh, and we talked about like vocabulary, like what are some of the terms that we need to know when we feel a certain way? And okay, how so, should we address, how should we approach these things? Right. So I think, I think um, education, I mean, like really education and being aware, you have to have, a, you have to be aware of everything that is going on in your mind. Um, prior to acting on it. So what I, what I started to say is like we all have, um, and this is just a, like a basic explanation of what is happening. Mm-hmm. 
in regards to like anxiety and, and stress and stuff like that. So we all have a amygdala. Amygdala and the hippocampus is located in the front of the brain. The amygdala is, is responsible for processing memories, um, a, per a person's emotional reactions to things and decisions, mm -hmm. okay? The hippocampus is also located in the temporal um, part of the brain, and it regulates our emotions. They kind of work together. Right. However, when we experience stress, um, the amygdala becomes overactive, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's reacting um, more than it needs to. And the hippocampus, on the other end, has become totally suppressed. Mm. We don't have any logic. So we so that is where that that feeling of oh my god I'm gonna die yeah that fight or flight right fight or flight exactly you're really not going to but the reason you feel that is because the amygdala is reacting it's overacting mm. overreacting and the hippocampus has has um, kind of suppressed itself um, and that's why we feel that panic mm. that is why we feel that panic and that is why it is very important to be able to, in the moment, even in the moment, if there's no real danger, and I'm only saying this if there's no real danger, um, to be able to, like, if a person is having a, a panic attack, to recognize what it is. Mm. And this, again, that only comes when you can only recognize when it is, what it is, when you have ruled out every medical condition. So okay. you don't have heart problems, you don't have what else can make you, you know, your heart rate, you don't have any instability of diabetes and um, unstable diabetes. You don't have any other medical condition um, that will cause the symptoms of a panic attack. Once you're clear there, then you recognize that it's panic and you recognize that there's no um, immediate threat. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to ground yourself. And that's what they, that's what they mean when they say grounding is when, when you can recognize that Nothing's really happening. This is all happening in my mind because my brain is kind of doing a, a little dance. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, 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 I've definitely experienced that on, on occasion. Um, when, when your brain does this dance, what are the recommended uh, strategies that you should use in order to help regulate your amygdala so that your hippocampus can kind of come back on the scene and, and start helping you make some more uh, rational decision. Right. So um, one, of the, one of the most common things that people that you recommend is, um, okay, so the amygdala is overactive, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the first, first and foremost, well, when the amygdala is overactive, if you're in, everything becomes exaggerated. So noises become louder, lights become brighter, everything is magnified in your mind. So the one thing that you must do is to kind of lessen the stimuli, the external stimuli. So anything that's happening around you, you have to isolate yourself from it. And you got to turn down the light, you got to get some quiet, you got to get in a quiet place. So you don't need to be around anybody that's going you know, to panic with you. <laughs> mm, okay but to recognize that what's happening in the brain, the physical changes that are happening in the brain is what's causing all of this. You want to um, decrease all of the external term, um, stimuli that mm -hmm. is happening. 
So Walmart's not the place to be. Okay. Um, anything like that. <laughs> You know, so you should you shouldn't be in a cry a crowded no, or a loud it. place, stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that people do is very normal. These are just these are just quick things to do is the deep breathing. Okay. The reason that you're breathing deep, um, hold on, I wrote this down to keep make sure I give you the right information. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. Um, the deep breathing is because of, because when we go into pain, we kind of forget to breathe. We, we kind of forget to, um, we hyperventilate. Right. We hyperventilate. So we're not taking in, um, this leads to decreased carbon, carbon dioxide in the body. Mm. And um, decreased, hold on, let me get it. Let me get it straight. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're taking in more oxygen and out more carbon dioxide, and that's causing the imbalance in the brain mm. because we're hyperventilating. We're not taking in enough oxygen. Okay. Right? We're not taking enough, taking enough oxygen in. We're not releasing enough carbon dioxide, and so that's why we begin to feel faint. People begin to feel faint when they have a panic attack. They feel dizzy, and that is because their breathing is... Um, has gone off track. Okay. So to deep breathe and to allow the the, um, the air, the oxygen, the flow of air to go through your body so that it reaches your brain so that you can be regulated again. And all of those things will settle themselves out. The dizziness, the, the, um, the faintness, all of those things kind of settle themselves out through those little, they're not little, but people, you know, people um, talk about deep breathing a lot. But that is the reason for it. Okay. um, Carbon monoxide in the body, carbon dioxide in the body. Okay. And that's that's really helpful to know because I think most of us have these uh, incidents and we uh, explain it in a very different way. I think before really understanding that that, uh, the, the physiological changes that were happening in my body you right. know, I would mystify it in the sense that, you know, I would, I would make it like I, I, I was going to die and God right. saved me from dying, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, it's actually a normal response to right. uh, a, a danger that's not really there. It's not really there, right. You know, it's- and your body uh, 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 creates this circumstance in your mind and, and you like you said once you emphasize it it becomes bigger than what it than what right. it is yeah yeah it's and I, I think that's really helpful to know um what are some ways that you know once once you recognize what it is and you've begun to deep breathing um I know for me I used to you know I used to have my own rituals that uh that I would like to do just to kind of help in my mind, but this is before understanding what this, what, what this is, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I needed to reach out to a friend to talk. Right. And once I was able to talk it out, I was able to help calm myself down enough to where, um, you know, I would allow the, the uh, hippocampus to, to right. regain some of its its mm-hmm. structure in my mind and, and 
you know, regulate right. some of the stress that I was feeling at the time. And what we're experiencing now, even people who don't have or have never had any kind of mental illness or panic attack, we're definitely expecting that, you know, they're going to. They are going to. And it's not. They're going to. And it is, right. it is nothing to debate. You're going to feel a way, just like you talked about with the pizza thing. Right. You know, and it's how do you, one, you know, I know we talked about developing a checklist. Like, how do you recognize, mm-hmm. regulate, put into place, and, and, you know, what are some of the things that we should know? Right. Or some terms that we can use moving forward to help us normalize these responses that's happening in our body. Right. So the, the first thing to, to understand is that once you experience something, so this is kind of how post-traumatic stress sets in. Once you experience something, um, remember the brain is storing the memory of it in your mind. Whether you think about it today, tomorrow, you know, the memory is embedded in that, and, and the memory is um, connected to a negative outcome from it. So, you know, mm. I get COVID, I'm going to die, right? So that's that's the um, connection you have in your brain, you make in your brain. So here we are six months later and you go to the doctor and you're having symptoms and well, you're having symptoms of something and you go into a full fledged panic attack. That is because that memory that you have connected to COVID is, is still um, giving you the false perception that you are going to die. So you automatically go into panic you may not recognize all of that in the, in the moment. And that's the thing about your first panic attack is that you don't put two and two together in the moment. And most people do end up in the ER in the hospital at their first panic attack. And I do suggest that because it play, it has, it plays all kind of, it, 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 um, it plays tricks in your mind. It definitely has physiological changes in your body. It feels like a heart attack. You can't breathe. You can't, your heart is racing. You're sweating and you have symptoms. You can't, some people do have symptoms of a heart attack. So it is always good to have a physical exam. Once you have had your physical exam and your doctor has said, I think you're experiencing stress, anxiety, then therapy is the thing for you to do. Um, And then you have to trust that when you have these episodes, you have to you have to kind of remind yourself, I am having a panic attack. Once and that is very hard to do. That that is yeah true because you feel like you're dying. Yeah. Um, two things that I recommend for um, probably longer term therapy. The first one is a, you know very common exposure therapy, and it's kind of like a cognitive behavioral therapy, and basically you are being re-exposed. Um, through different different sessions, you're being re-exposed to the, the perceived threat, but you're in the safety of a therapist's office, and you are going to go through the anxiety. You are going to have the panic, and things will get worse before they, are, they ultimately get better. And the purpose of mm. it is to desensitize you to it. So every time you tell your story about what traumatized you, eventually you are desensitized and you can tell it in a way that you are confident in knowing that it's not going to affect you. You're safe. And the brain kind of mm. re, re, readjusts and it now has that stored memory of safety, being in a um, therapist's office, and these things are no longer going to, going to affect you. 
So that's that yeah. is definitely one way. Um, I don't... That's really helpful to know. Yeah. Um, that's very helpful to know. And while you were speaking, you know, I was I was reflecting on quite a few mm-hmm. moments, whether in my past or just from what other people have shared. Right. And um, <clears throat> I think that uh, we have to keep that in mind because um, everyone is operating from a very different perspective right. and they're all operating from different experiences. Right. Uh, so some people have a higher threshold for, yeah. you know, for... Um, having uh, people panic and or they have they have a very different threshold for negative experiences than others. Right. You know, right. something that would make me run for the hills for someone else right. is, oh, that's nothing. I've, I've experienced that before. It's not a big right. deal. So I think it's really important that we are kind, you know, just as simple as that is that we're kind right. and and we're supportive of one another move, uh, moving forward and, and re-engaging into this new normal. Because you don't know what people, what other people are experiencing. Yeah, man. You, you don't know. Right. Doesn't mean... That... I have seen people... I have seen... Okay, I'll give you an example. Two people may be dealing with the same um, history of sexual abuse and so, some sort of trauma. One person I will not see unless they are um, at the same time being treated by, you know, being treated um, on some sort of medication regimen. Mm-hmm. I will not see them if they're not on some sort of regimen because they are too, they are, they, in my opinion, they're too heightened. They're too heightened. And I think it would be too much, you know, I think it would be too much for them to go through trauma again without having something to, fall, to help them get through it. And then for right. other people who can go through it and they can experience the same trauma, you know, ultimately get into a better place, but they have a they have more resilience. And they yeah. And they have they have more of an ability to manage it. You know. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's you know there's differences and it's definitely um, important for people to just be aware. Just be nice. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that and that's really what it all boils right. down to because. You know, I think we've been we've been quarantined so long, and people are just so uh, um, anxious about being out in the street right. that they're you know they're driving fast, they're cutting people off, they're like impatient and waiting late and waiting in line, and there's just too many layers. Right. So, so we are. This pandemic has taken us back. I don't know if you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, yes, it's taking us back to we are at the basic physiological needs where we we need water, <laughs> air, food, <laughs> shelter, sleep. Right, that that's really all we can have right now. Is we're looking, we need safety. That's the next level up, safety mm-hmm. and security, and that is that is being threatened at the moment because we don't know. So that is why people are mm. in this heightened mode of um, fight or flight. You know, I going yeah. to take care of me. I am going to take care of my family because we are at the, we are basically trying to fend and trying to just get through day-to-day life with the basic needs in life. Most people yeah. kind of, um, make it with the basic needs because we don't have the safety right now. 
Yeah. We're doing like we're doing like uh, good times. We scratching and surviving right now, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, What's gonna happen tomorrow? Yeah, and you know what? That really makes sense because you know I was looking at my. I, I need to get a pedicure. Yeah. I've been doing my own pedicure, right. but I'm looking at my. I'm like, look, I'm alive right now. A pedicure is, you know, of course, some people are are excited about going back to get their nails and their toes and things like that. But I feel like I I can wait. wait. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I can wait, you know, and that really does make sense that, you know, uh, yes, we are at the primary needs right now. Yeah. Yeah. So when, so, so reflecting, building on, uh, our hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. at what point do we are we then ready to or at what point are we ready to now move up the level of needs Mm -hmm. um and of course it's based on our own personal experiences but what then makes us feel safe enough Um, to right Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the safety will come come from because we're so conditioned. We are very conditioned to. Um, let me let me see. <laughs> we are very mm-hmm. conditioned to believe everything that um, anybody that's in authority says. Right. So, that's terrible. Right. So once the authority says, okay, and then the, and then I'm going to jump to the, the top of the pyramid with um, um, the hierarchy of needs. But okay. the um, once the, the the people in charge say it's safe, then most people. I am not surprised at the response of most people because we are conditioned to believe what everyone says, mm. what, what, the, what the um the authority says. Let me say, we are so conditioned to believe what the authority says. So when the authority, so we then abandon. Right, our our belief system because the authority says X, Y, or Z. Unless, unless you have reached a, a, a phase of self being self-actualized and that is when you are um, that is when you do not follow, that is when you follow your spiritual path. That's what I like to call it. You yes. do not go, you do not make choices and decisions based on the masses. You make choices and decisions based on what you feel is right, what you know is right intuitively, and you don't only make decisions for yourself, but you make decisions for the, the greater good of everybody based on what you your, your intuition is telling you. And a perfect example of that, I don't know, a lot of people don't feel the same way, but a perfect, perfect example of that is um, Governor Cuomo in New York. He's putting mm-hmm. his, his livelihood on, and another one, there's, there's plenty, um, Colin Kaepernick. These okay. people are putting their own personal their own personal selves aside for the greater good of other people, despite what authority says. Other examples would be Mother Teresa, um, Martin Luther King, um, Gandhi, okay. Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. yeah. People who are willing to put they are willing to go against the grain, and they really don't see any other way. They really don't see any way, any other way because they're so, they're so, um, they feel so strongly about their mm-hmm. in- intuition and what they know mm-hmm. to be right, not just for themselves, but for the greater good of all. Yeah. So a lot of people don't make it there. A lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to be on your, you have to be in a path 
of uh, what do they call it? The road less traveled. Right. I call that the road less traveled. That's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly you gotta you gotta be on the road less traveled. And it can um, only... and and knowing that there and even like with Malcolm X as well. I don't know right. if you mentioned him or not, but you know he talks extensively about this type of scenario mm-hmm. and how uh, when we as a people recognize that where we're going can be beneficial if we stick together. Right. Once we really get the better understanding of how that works, that's when things click. Right. And we will become the power. I mean, as African-Americans, we will become the power source that we are, that we already are. And we don't recognize that power within us. Absolutely. You know, but he talked about that in in, uh, one of his interviews. It's already within us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ultimately everything that we need is within us and we have all of these things. Right. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, you know, diff- we're all raised differently. We all have different morals and values right. uh, such that we're, you know, it's difficult for us to kind of get on the same page or we're on the same page in small pockets here right. or there. Um, and I, I'm and to go back to, and I want, I want you to go back to the, um, the top of the pyramid thing there. Um, what, what I was going to say, um, we, you know, some people have a really difficult time discussing mental illness and um, admitting mm-hmm. that they're not okay. Right. You know, and it's not until someone also in authority says, "Right, yo, right, yo, I'm not okay." Right. And it it kind of gives everyone permission. <laughs> to um, admit their own frailties. Right. You know, I think us as African-Americans, we have a substantial difficult time admitting our frailties. Right. And so hearing that during this week, I'm not okay. It, I think that, I think so many people just breathe a sigh of relief that you know, I think I, I think that in and of itself will be will bring healing to our community right. amidst all the chaos right now and the protesters and all the stuff that's happening. Right. I believe that that you know will bring ultimately bring healing to us as a people. Right. Yeah. What your thoughts on that? And then you know you can go on to the uh, high the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. On, say that again. Um, thoughts on just the thoughts on hearing someone in authority admit to and express right. their sentiment uh, that they're not okay with with everything that's happening and and COVID and the deaths and the race racial disparities. Having someone mention that gives us relief right and ultimately as a as a community that relief then gives way to a path for healing right what do we do now 
what do we do now? And it helps people to understand, like, particularly when somebody in, in, um, in authority says, oh, this is not okay, and, and they, have, they have that sense of transparency, and they give transparency to, to the pe- people that they're leading, it shows people that you can, you, you can have hope, you can do the same thing, this is very normal, everybody stumbles, but the reality is, despite the stumble, you can still get up and, and proceed, you know? So it gives, I think that gives people a lot of, um, and again, it depends on where you are in your thought process. It depends on what your experience are. It depends on how you, you know, you know your frame of reference, how you view the world. Um, because if you are not, you know, according to Maslow, if you are not, uh, a lot of theorists, but if you are not in a place where you can think independently, then you are mm. always going to have to have somebody to leave you. Um, oh, that's heavy. Right? That's heavy. You're always going to have to have somebody to leave you because you're never going. You're always going to be afraid to say something that may go against the masses or to do something that may go against the masses, even if ultimately it's going to be better for 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 everyone. This is wow. exactly what we see right now with, um, you know, the whole racism and people want. People want the um, the white culture to speak up, okay? So I see it in this way. People are afraid. The white culture may be afraid to speak up. They may be experiencing a lot of anxiety because this is this has been their way of life. This has been yeah. their way of life. So how are they going to confront their uncles, their parents, their grandparents? How are they going to confront these people um, to, to ignite change? Right, because and they and they don't eat, they don't recognize what they, right. what they need to do themselves because, because they've right. lived in they've lived with privilege right. Right. for so long. Absolutely. Oh well, they they've lived with privilege. So recognizing someone without that is difficult, difficult for you know. For them. They don't understand the. They don't understand. And then on the other side, people you know, people of color, black people are, are becoming first depressed. People have been depressed for a long time. Depressed because you have to work harder and longer to be to, to equal, to be your your counterparts equal. You have to work harder and longer to be their equal. So it it has caused a lot of um, depression, a lot of anxiety, and now it's anger. It's just pure pure anger. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just pure. Anger. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, people. If you don't understand how the mind works, people are going to criticize both sides. But if you do understand and you understand the, the, the way the human, the human mind works and how people interact with one another and their experiences, how their experiences in life affect them, then you'll have a little bit, I'm not saying a whole lot because I'm angry, <laughs> but you'll mm-hmm. have a little bit of leniency towards others, at, at least mm. enough to express to them, hey, this is what's happening this is what I'd like to see from you and then get their feedback. And, and then a dialogue is able, you know, is able to, to start. Yeah. Communication is key. Communication is key. Um, there's, you know, there's so many different components about this topic and I'm certain that we can have, so, you know, we could do part two, three, four and five, yes. but I wanted to hear from you in regards to uh, some of the, the terms that we need to know as we re-engage mm-hmm. um, so that we are educated. As far as- you mentioned post-traumatic stress. Okay. 
you know, what are some other terms and uh, conditions that we need to be aware of so that we can say, hey, I'm feeling a little X, Y, Z or, you know, right. I, I noticed that you're X, Y, Z. So I'm going to just kind of step back a bit. You know, you look a little tense, right? you, you know, recognizing it within ourselves, but also recognizing cool. with, with other people right. so that we can make adjustments for ourselves and, and be able to have a, uh, a way to communicate our discomfort. Right. I think it's important. Right. I think it's important to know that everybody will experience, not everybody, I'm not going to say everybody, but for the most part, a lot of people will, ex- will experience some, some level of depression. Maybe, you know, it could be as, as mild as just melancholy, you know, where they always seem sad, but they're not depressed, but they're sad or um, anxiety and stress. Now, these things in adults look very different than they would look in children. Okay, so adults, more, uh, more than most adults, when you say depression or you say anxiety, well, depression, you, you know, you lose interest. You lose interest in things. You are, you may function. You may get through an entire day. But when the day is done, it's like, thank God the day is done. You turn your phone off. You don't want to engage. Or you'll engage by phone or through text and people that don't call you back or stuff like that. Those are things to, if you notice their norm is, is to do, if they're, if they're um, operating differently from their norm, then that's a red flag. You know, so they normally call, but now they only want to text. Then that is a red flag. Um, you know, things like that. People are also very, with anxiety, people are very irritable very irritable so it may seem it may come across as an attitude but it's not necessarily an attitude it may be just their level of anxiety in the moment because anxiety causes you to be um um kind of hyper vigilant you're always yeah you're always on guard Mm -hmm. and tense and you know and you you always expect the worst so you may be a lot more irritable Um, Mm -hmm. children um, so for adults, we may sleep more, we may be in the bed, we may watch TV, we may, you know, you know, stuff that we, um, some people just like to do or whatever that can be deemed as depression or sadness. But for children, it's more of anger, a lot of anger, fighting, cursing, um, being defiant. It looks, it looks like defiance for children. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the depression looks like defiance. I've seen quite a bit of children, quite a few children diagnosed with depression when in all actuality it is I mean diagnosed with oppositional defiance um, when in all actuality it is depression you know Mm. they are just angry angry they're fighting they're cursing they are defiant of of adults and all of that stuff but if you get them one-on-one and you start talking eventually something is going to come out and they are going to let you know how just how sad they are, but they don't understand why they feel angry, you know. So um, things like that are important to be aware. I think it's very important to be aware of that stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> children. Right, and and for parents to recognize how to open, how to uh, give them the space right. to either communicate, right. give them the options on ways to communicate. Right. And if they don't feel capable mm-hmm. of bro- approaching the topic that 
you know, creating avenues for them to talk to a professional. Right. Or maybe a family member who may be um, well-versed or, you know, better able to communicate on their level, you know, to reach them. Right. You know, and I, I think that parents need to be even more aware. Right. Um, because I think that with parents being under such extreme pressure, you know, whether it's in a workforce or family and everyone is home and, right. you know, that, um, you know, we, we as parents just become aware of our own personal needs and our normal go-to is, look, you're getting everything you need. <laughs> right. You know, you need to be grateful. Grateful. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're going to suck up this. I don't know what's happening with you, but you better get it together. And I mean, quit. Right. But, you I, know, I do want to say this. Okay. So also for, for um, suicidal tendencies. Okay. Mm. So in adults, because a lot of, uh, again, after everything calms down, it's when we'll see the influx of, um, in, um, mental health um, problems and you know people, people challenges having, yeah having a lot more um, problems with mental health um, depression for adults um, can often look like you know people are depressed for a long time and you notice that they're depressed and then all of a sudden they have this spark of energy they have a spark of energy they're coming around you know they're acting like they're very happy that is a that is a, a number one sign that they will con- they have determined that this is what they're going to do and they are happy about it because they see it as an out. They see it as something that is going to solve their problems. So when people um, immediate, when people come out of a depression, um, all of a sudden they come out of a depression, that is a, um, that is a red flag for a potential suicide. Um, particularly if they are, okay, um, if they have somebody in their family, if they're male, if they've had somebody in their family commit suicide, um, those are the things that you want to know. And you just want to keep close contact with them. Just make sure mm-hmm. that they're supported. And children, not even children, um, um, adolescents, like, you know, younger, mm-hmm. younger adults, they're more likely to commit suicide. Boys are more likely than, than girls. Um, um, because of their age, boys being in, in their twenties, like young men in their twenties, that that sort of age, um, are more likely. People that are using drugs or alcohol, much more likely. Um, boys are more likely, or men are more likely to use um, weapons, things of that nature. Women are, are not as likely. Women are more likely to attempt but fail, but attempt again. They'll continually. Men are less likely because they use more lethal lethal. Um, measures, huh? Yes. Um, but the person that is depressed that all of a sudden appears happy and, you know, like they've had a new leaf turnover in life, you al- always want to be mindful of their potential for suicide. Mm. Is that, is that, con- is that, uh, when someone does that, is that called manic? No. It, it, can, mm. it, it can look like a manic phase. Just it can look like mania, and that's what it should not be confused with. 
It can look like mania, but what they'll also do, they'll also tie up loose ends. They'll call people they haven't spoken to. They'll, they'll, um, they may give away things, things of that nature. So it may look like mania, hmm. but mania is only in people who are bipolar. But this is a, 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 a it is a manic episode, but it's a, a, a manic episode that's leading to depression. I mean, leading to suicide. Mm. Um, so we we during this uh, pandemic, we've noticed uh, many who have, okay, even in the medical profession, they've committed suicide. Right. Um, you know those who may have clearly not had any particular mental illness right. to speak of. Right. You know what are some of the conditions that drive them? Those people is it? to take their take their life it's the acute stress it's the the stress of the moment and that will probably it happens a lot with um military and people in combat and i can also see that for um the the medical professionals right now that are experiencing we've never never experienced a pandemic i can see that happening I, i pray to god that it doesn't but i think it's something that we definitely all need to be aware of we all need to be in support of the, the um the medical staff um in any way that we can in any way that we can even from an emotional standpoint right now they they've been begging for like medical equipment but even from an emotional standpoint because yeah. they're seeing death you know they've seen and are seeing death quite often but it, but remember they're in overactive mode so they right. are going with the flow they are working through it but when the smoke clears that's when they're going to have time to really process and think. Mm. That's so dangerous. Yes. That's really dangerous. And um, my heart really goes out to people who are on the front lines like that. You know, we all know of so many who are facing these dilemmas. And, you know, I talk to quite a few and, and, and like you say, they absolutely have to detach. Right. You know, you have to detach in order to get through uh, your your daily mm-hmm. grind, right, right. You know, as much as um, you can because you're yeah. human. You know, yeah, we're human, and you don't see these things coming. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. that's the whole point of our discussion with mental health awareness. Um, not just for those who are diagnosed with the mental illness, but right. you know, when as we are reengaging into our community recognizing the need to be kinder, gentler, have more compassion, right. um, be at peace with our, within ourselves right. so that we can display acts of kindness towards others. Right. Um, you know, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the things, because I, I, I don't like crowds. I know me. I know my my. I just I don't like crowds, so mm-hmm. I uh, purposefully do my shopping early in the morning when the stores open. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, putting certain um, what, how would you call them like certain conditions in place mm-hmm. so that you can avoid right yeah that too right you know being right. Involved in scenarios that can cause knowing your limits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Know your limits. Right. I think that's really key to know your limits and and to be able to um, 
to even to say to someone else, um, just as we talked about, I'm not okay. Right. You know, I think that we're at a place now in our society where, you know, if someone says, listen, this is not okay for me. Right. You know. Believe them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know someone who, you know, was got really anxious when someone was standing too close to them on a line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we'll turn around and look at the person like, um, yeah, you're kind of close, but be, no, under a different circumstance, it may not have been that close, right? but because we're now right. being held to this six feet and social distance, it's too close. It's too close. Right. Right. You know, we have to be uh, conscious. We have to be respectful of one another's uh, limitations right? and um, moving forward, uh, you know, I just, and I keep going back to just being kind and gentle. To be right. Cause yeah. People have forgotten that, but it's not, um, it's still, it's still, it still works. It still, it still, still should be a part of humanity as part of who we are. And yeah. that's who we are. You know, we're taught not to. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I wanted to, I know you mentioned uh, the uh, the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. What's at the top of the the, uh, the needs, hierarchy needs? Because I know we, we haven't been so, socially interacting with people. Right. So that is the, um, the top is the... Um, the top, the very top of the hierarchy is self-actualization. So the stages are first psychological needs. Um, that's when we, our air, our water, air, food, our basic needs are met. So, um, physiological needs, I'm sorry. Physiological right. needs. And then safety needs, personal security and safety. And then belonging and love needs. Our need to be, how have intimate relationships. Um and then our need to be um, accomplished, you know, what have I achieved in life? You know, looking over your life and saying, what have I, I achieved? And then to be self-actualized means that you have reached your full potential in life. And that full potential means that you have, you are able to be selfless. You are able to put aside yourself. You, you're using everything that you've learned and accomplished through life to, to contribute to the greater good of everybody. That is that very top of the um, pyramid. That is also, if you want to look at Dr. James Fowler, stages of faith development. Um, hold on, let me look at, let me see. At the very top, um, let's see. James Fowler. Hold on, let me find, let me find what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. James Fowler um, developed the stages of faith development, and he goes through all of these stages of development where you, you know, you, you develop your faith. And the last one is stage, I, I believe it's stage six, which is kind of similar to um, kind of similar to self actualization. It's universalizing faith. Hmm. Um, and it is very few people that reach that stage of faith. 
You said, what is that called again? Universalizing faith. This is um, mm. Dr. James Fowler, Stages of Faith Development. Okay. Okay. So, so wow. That's... Theorists, yeah, they're all different theorists, but the reality is we all go through these stages of, of, of development. And, and at the very top, you know, when we have really um, achieved, it's not necessarily material and all it is the worldly things, but it's more of a, an ability to, um, to give back to the world what you who you are like really mm-hmm. who you are as a person um service that serving is service right mm-hmm. setting yourself aside and serving people for it on on for the greater good doing greater good for all people right i think that if we all um approach this having uh with the idea of being intentional Right. about our purpose right and even interacting with people um without judgment without judgment right right it would uh help towards our forward motion into the next stage after this pandemic right um you know, where everyone is just so quick to go out and just be out, go to the beach, go to different places. But um, it's important to be purposeful. Purposeful, that's right. And it's also important, it's also very, very, very important because you cannot do anything for anyone else if you are not taking care of yourself first. So it's also very important to excuse yourself for anything that you may have. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself because when you're continually beating yourself up, you can't do anything for you or other people. And that that is why a lot of people sink into depression. Oh, this happened in my life and I just can't. I mean, obviously, yes, you're going to have sorrows. You're going to have hard times. This happened in my life. I can't get up from it. I'm embarrassed at what the world thinks and blah, you know, all of this stuff. And, and those people fall into depression because they are very hard on themselves. Yeah. And that is not- I think we I think we as African Americans are conditioned to be oh, right. very critical of ourselves, you know, be, right. for you know, for all for all kinds of reasons, but uh I think we're in an era of recognizing the importance of self-care. Right. And uh we talk, you know, self-care strategies that exist and we hear them all the time. Um, to take advantage of those and make them a part of our regular ritual and routine um, in addition to, you know, who we are and how we provide uh, support for our family. 